Welcome to the ALN podcast series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome. Thank you all for being here today. I am Nick Kenoki, the Director of Technology for the Asset Leadership Network, and I am very excited for today's ALN Roundtable, People Are Not Assets. Uh, as you can see, we have a great panel uh, here with us today, and we will do a little bit more introduction uh, in a moment. But first, I just wanted to thank our ALN patron members, Definitive Logic, Onuma System, ABS Quality Evaluations, and of course, ABS Group, uh, as well as our other organizational members. And as you can see, it's a growing list. So if you're interested in working with the ALN, please reach out and we will get started. Um, other than that, I would just note that we would love to hear from you if you're out there watching or listening in. So please send any comments, questions, or feedback to the chat, or use the Zoom Q&A function to uh, put any comments or questions to the panel. And Mike Bordenero, Executive Director for the ALN, is going to do a bit more of an introduction for our panelists. Mike? Thank you, Nick. And uh, thank you to uh, all of our uh, our roundtable participants and uh, all of those of you who are attending. And this is uh, quite a panel. We had a, a lovely pre-event discussion on this somewhat uh, esoteric concept of people are not assets, but words matter. And if our leaders are going around saying that their people are their best assets, then they don't understand asset management. And we would like to put a stake in the ground uh, right now as saying people are not assets and we need to stop uh, changing that. Although Dr. Monique Beatles put the stake in the ground uh, before us, she gave a presentation a couple of weeks ago at the uh, Australian uh, Asset Management Council AMP conference and her, her uh, paper and her presentation was why your people are not your greatest assets. So we're gonna start off with her since she has some uh, material in the can, so to speak. And Marty Rowland is an ALN senior fellow who uh, has had an arm wrestling match with the six capitals concept of human capital. And uh, I've kind of helped uh, determine that the humans aren't the capital, it's the output of the people and that are is the capital, the intellectual property, the patents. And uh, Dominic Townsend, president of uh, ALN patron member, ABS Quality Evaluations, and he is an ALN board member, will be giving his perspective from uh, how people, you know, he's observing organizations who are certified into ISO 55000 and other standards, and he'll be uh, providing that uh, wide uh, spread perspective. Cecilia Mowat, president of Strategy Insights, is an ALN organization member, a lawyer, and is a very strong advocate for uh, ISO 55000 
and one 4.2 involve all relevant stakeholders. And she's got a very strong uh, perspective on people are not assets. And we were very uh, pleased to be introduced to Nick Shepard through uh, ALM member organization, um, Smart Companies, uh, uh, President uh, Mary Adams. And uh, Nick is the author of uh, a couple books on uh, finance and management. And he is uh, well-versed in six capitals and he's uh, on an ISO committee for health and uh, safety. I think I've got that wrong, but Nick will uh, explain that further. But first, each uh, one of the panelists will give a, a small statement um, about their perspective on people are not assets. We'll start off with uh, Dr. Monique Beatles. Thanks, Mike. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I say good morning because I'm coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. So uh, it's lovely to be part of this um, conversation. So thank you for the invitation. Um, as Mike has mentioned, I've recently presented a paper to our asset management conference here in Australia and uh, really on around this topic. Um, and why it's important to me is that most of the work that I do is at the senior leadership level with boards and executive teams. And I do uh, leadership coaching and, and development of leaders uh, who are asset management professionals. And so it's really important that we make a distinction between people and things. Uh, and that we understand that people are not things and therefore that people are not assets because that's really important to the way we make decisions, the way we treat people as leaders and also the way we develop our leadership capabilities because um, our technical skills are not enough, our business perspective is not enough. We need to take a human approach um, if we're going to get the best from people and if we're going to do our best work. So, um, in, in the paper, I talk about the legal and grammatical distinction between people and things. And, and part of that, um, part of what's important to understand about that, in particularly the way we talk about asset management, uh, realizing value from assets, is that assets have value only for their utility, for what we can get from them, but people have value in their own right, inherent value. So an asset is a means to an end, but a person, um, is an end in themselves. So that's the core concept that um, you know, I've, I've dealt with here and that's, I think that's important and that we can um, explore further. So it has a lot of follow on effects to the language we use as we've mentioned around capital resources and so on. And, and the core thing that we don't wanna be using language that is dehumanizing because what it does is it means we treat people just like a machine or a, uh, some other inanimate object um, and that's not what we want to be doing. So that's the that's the core of what I'm. Uh, <laughs> and Monique, will you share the titles of your books? Of my books? Uh, yeah. Yes. So uh, look, my earlier book is um, Asset Management for Directors, published by the Australian Institute of Company Directors. And it's very much a board's perspective on why asset management is important for them and, and what they need to understand about it. Um, my most recent book is Leadership Assets. Uh, so this is really about leadership for asset management professionals and the skills that they need to develop. Um, I have some other books, but they're probably the most relevant ones. Okay, thank you very much. So Marty is an ALN senior fellow and he's on, uh, is it the board of the Henry George School for Social Science? 
Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to uh, present. Um, uh, I guess what I'm going to be talking about today is a little introduction, uh, kind of informed by the my doctorate and essentially uh, uh, environmental resource uh, economics, uh, but also my involvement with Henry George School. Uh, I do work for the New York City government, so uh, you know I don't. I'm not going to be speaking on behalf of those, but uh, these are my personal views. Um, so uh, I wanted to just read a few things. It's only going to be 60 seconds. Uh, my, my task today is to take part in a notion that everything is capital and ask why we tolerate such a perversion of intellectual thought. By that, I mean capital is merely one factor of economic production. In fact, it is only the only factor out of three that is not essential to production. Take a person picking low-hanging fruit, labor raises a hand and removes an apple um, out of the tree. The apple essentially is economically land. Uh, production results in one apple. Capital only comes in when the intelligence of labor uses a ladder or a basket to create more wealth. I understand why the head of a firm may want to pervert this basic notion and call the apple picker and the apple capital. It is a smokescreen to hide the fact that they once mistreated workers and failed to properly steward the orchard. So perhaps production with three capitals is a course in CEO reform school, but there's no need to change the notion or the nation's school books for their unique failure. It is their problem that does not need our fixing. Labor with humans need to be nurtured, allowed to create their own institutions and be invited to share in reciprocal trusting relationships. Only the laborer owns their labor. They're not uh, anybody's assets. Likewise, the owner of land, the orchard, must pay society a reasonable resource rent for their privilege, uh, privilege of keeping others out of it. And others have a duty not to enter the orchard. And society has the obligation to enforce these basic agreements known as institutions. And the rent in this way is the revenue that we use to pay for such things as police and environmental protection, healthcare, and those kind of things. So land is its own factor of production and the rent obligation uh, is what takes homo sapiens out of the state of nature. We all know that the titans of industry will not do that, take humans out of state of nature while calling everything capital when there's no obligation to nature and people. There's a need for clarity, not obscuration. The, uh, remember three unique factors of production, land, labor, and capital, not three factors of one kind. So that's my opening statement. Appreciate the- You don't have any opinion on this topic at all, do you? No, I, I wanted to uh, make it very clear what I had to say. No, that's that's great. Thank you for taking the time to to write that out and sharing that with us. Uh, we look forward to your discussion with Nick. But right now, let's give uh, uh, Nick Shepard a chance to uh, make his opening statement. Great. I mean, I uh, I'm sort of intimidated after Marty's introduction. I uh, I feel I'm I'm it. And especially with Monique, I think I'm in the company of intellectual giants here. So well, you've uh, written you've <laughs> written a couple books. Yeah, I'll talk about those in a minute. Okay. Um, 
I'm coming to you from, as you can see, from a log cabin in, uh, that's on the banks of the Ottawa River, just uh, um, west of uh, Canada's capital. And uh, I'm theoretically retired. I've had about 50 years in business. My first 25 years were mainly in finance, uh, rising to the position of CFO in a fairly large organization. Then I went into general management, was president for business for a period of time and became more and more convinced that people are actually the most critical component of organizational activity. Uh, I agree 100% with what Monique said in terms of the importance of leadership. Anything that we talk about uh, related to people has to do with effective leadership. And I spent, uh, after I uh, finished my sort of stint as a CFO, I, uh, I started my own training and consulting company and did a lot of work in the area of organizational values, organizational culture. And that is indeed the subject of two of the books I've written. Uh, one is called uh, Corporate Culture, uh, Combining Values and Purpose. And the other book is called The Cost of Poor Culture, which uh, really talks about the, the hidden cost of organizations that don't pay attention to exactly the issues that Marty and Monique are talking about, which is the the nurturing and responsible stewardship of the people in the organization. Um, we will talk a little bit about uh, uh, the six capitals. One of the problems is that we sort of backed into the term human capital um, because capitals are the resources that organizations use uh, for their business model. And so uh, humans are a key part of the resources and because they wanted to call everything capital, they ended up calling it human cattle. So we've kind of backed into that and we'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, but the most important, the most critical thing is, uh, is people in the organization. And that is my passion. And uh, um, there, there's a number of other books I've, I've written. Uh, I have, I'm ashamed to say, uh, recently written a book called uh, Understanding and Reporting Human Capital. Uh, which uh, I'm, I'm sure if I could see Monique's face, she would be scowling at me at this stage. Uh, it's unfortunate that we've used uh, uh, that phrase, but uh, I think we get hung up on the labels and I would go back to exactly what Marty said. So I look forward to the discussion. Thanks, guys. And uh, Nick, will you talk a little yeah. bit about your involvement in ISO? Yes, I belong to uh, uh, something called TC260, Technical Committee 260. Um, we had a discussion in our sort of pre-call about that. Uh, it's uh, a series of guidelines and standards and technical specifications around the area of human resources management that started in uh, around, I think it was 2014, that ISO has been working on. Uh, the specific area I'm involved in is ISO 30414, which is uh, called Guidelines for Internal and External Reporting of Human Capital. So it has the capital name on it. Uh, interestingly, I went back and checked after our discussion earlier, Mike, and uh, every other document in the series of TC260 TC publications uh, refers to human resources. So capital is only used in the terminology of reporting. So I think it'd be interesting to get into how different terms are being used for different purposes when we talk about people. Uh, I was chair of the Canadian committee. I'm now just a member of the committee. Thank you. Pleasure. Now, now we'll let uh, Cecilia have a chance to introduce herself further and uh, make an opening Thank statement. You. Thank you, Michael. 
Um, I am thrilled to be here for this conversation because this is a topic of great interest to me also, Nick, uh, the issue of what we do is not done just for the process of creating widgets, whatever any organization is doing is being done for somebody, to somebody, and with somebody. And we hope that it's being done in a sense of prospering people and helping people and not doing something nefarious. And when, when Michael said that, that Monique beat us to it, I kind of disagree. We didn't publish the fact of, of our beliefs as much, but we did as an organization, ALN has put a stake in the ground early on, thanks to Mike Bordenaro having said and corrected us on the issue of using people as assets, because as he said, in a country where we have a sort of checkered history in terms of ownership of people, and that's global. Um, slavery is something that was global. And so he cautioned us as we were looking at ALN's program and the current ALN Advancing Equity Board, Advisory Board, Advancing Equity Through Asset Leadership using ISO 55000, Mike made it clear that we could not refer to people as assets. So one of the things that I countered him with is, okay, that's fine, they're not assets. It's not the people being assets that we're talking about. We're talking about the relevant stakeholders, which is what ISO 55000 sends you to. And it sends you to looking at those relevant stakeholders, not for their position as assets, but for the relationships. So the issue is relationships, um, the relationships that we have with people and refocusing our efforts on relationships that are internal, external, and incidental, that we make sure that whatever we are doing, we are doing it to the betterment of all of our relationships with the human citizens that we encounter. And in the whole concept of economic development that I have worked in throughout my career, um, and that is the focus of strategies in sight, economic development, I always say is for the people, of the people, and by the people. And so that would be my opening that we need to look at the relationships as well as looking beyond the usual suspects when we look at relationships. Yeah, and the relationships they have with their intellectual property and their copyrights and their patents and contributions. Right, and that would then be exactly their contributions or the impacts that we have on people as well. Yes, thank you, Cecilia. You're welcome. And Dominic. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Mike. I'm uh, Dominic Townsend. I'm president of ABS Quality Evaluations. We're one of the, the leading uh, business assurance and management system auditing organizations uh, in the world. And uh, you know, my focus is to really talk about you know uh, management programs, what we audit, 
and and a lot of it's built around trust. Uh, we audit organizations to make sure that a program is is meeting a certain objective of a client or a stakeholder. Uh, but it's also um, when I look at successful organizations, uh, we talk a lot about leadership. We talk a lot about people. And I'm a firm believer that a success of any organization or a success of any management system program is based on the collective efforts of all the individuals that work within those organizations or work uh, within those processes. So um, when, when I look at people, you know, that to me, they're the ones that make the difference. And, uh, you know, leadership is to ensure that there's um, commitment at the top level and making sure that there's appropriate resources to, to really drive success. And um, when we look at those organizations, those top tiered organizations that are successful, it's built on um, a team of people that are very focused on one common goal. And uh, like I uh, started off is uh, we audit organizations all around the world. And uh, we love partnering with our clients um, because they are leading organizations um, dependent on the programs that they're audited towards or the standards that they've implemented. Thank you, Dominic. And uh, let's have everyone turn on their cameras. But Dominic, uh, let's stick with you. And let me ask you, how much do you see people being uh, listed in ISO 55001 certifications? And what type of language do you see when they're filling out their certification forms? Well, when we're auditing organizations, like one of our largest clients is, a, is an airport. And um, we, you, our first uh, uh, approach is, is working with their leadership team. And um, I could say that their leadership team really recognizes the importance of all those people that have implemented a management system program within the organization. And that's why the, this airport is, is one of the top rated airports in the world. And um, when I look at that and when we get out into, the, into our audits, it's it's we're continually speaking with people most of our audits it's all about people we get out in the field we want to make sure that those 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 organizations and those people that are working in the field understand the programs that are being rolled out why it's being rolled out um, what are their processes and practices that it meets the intent of the specific standards and they're appropriately trained and um, that's what we see when we're, when we're out there in the field hey thank you um Monique, uh, in your activities with many boards, you're involved with leaders and you frequently hear them say, our people are our greatest assets. What is your response when you hear that? Well, it depends a little bit on the situation, but uh, you will, I do hear it all the time um, from boards, from, from HR managers, from other leaders. And uh, I, do like to then, um, you know, depending on depending on what the context is, but to to challenge them on that and say, well, are people really assets, and is that the way you treat them? Um, because it then does cause them to think and to, uh, and I think that's what the whole um, objective is: is to get people thinking about, well, what does that really mean, and are you just going to insert people into your system, um, you know, as you do with any other thing, or are you going to, in fact, take, as Cecilia has pointed out, it's the relationships that are that are really so essential, um, because what what I then do see, um, as as Dominic has said, when you go out into organisations and look at what they're really doing, um, that 
quite often there can be this focus on putting the documentation in place, you know, putting the systems in place, building the artifacts that are required for the management system, but they haven't developed those relationships or, or done that deep engagement that's needed to really um, get people involved and to make them effective in getting the best outcomes from that system that you've developed. So I, I think that's, um, that's the challenge to those uh, at the board level or at the senior level is to say, well, yes, you can tick a box that you've put certain things in place, but have you really um, engaged people in the way that's required to make this effective. Thank you. Nick, I see you smiling and I wonder, because you've been on the boards, you've been at that level too, please share what's going through your head. I'm dying to know. Well, I, I, I think it's a couple of things that are fascinating. One is, one is you have to go back and it's part of what Marty talked about, I think, is that uh, and this, to a degree, I think ties back to the, the use of human capital in the integrated reporting in the six capitals. We're coming from a mindset where sort of the classic men and machines and money made was the business model. Uh, so that has a number of issues with it in terms of term terminology and labels, obviously. Um, but we're coming from a thinking set that that is the business model. That is the value creation model. And so if you think about the underlying reality that's, that's taken place, value creation no longer comes from machines. Value creation comes from people. And so we're having to get our head around the dynamic that you, you cannot treat people like machines. So all of the thinking that we had in the past about how you plan work, how you manage work, how you do work, you know, machines are wonderful. They pretty much follow instructions. But people don't, you know, people think for themselves, people want to contribute, people want to build those relationships. And so our, our method of dealing with them is going to be profoundly different. And we have we have to learn that. So although we've got these labels like assets, and, and in a way I can understand, I can see, you know, I, I was interested in Monique's re reply. Um, I, I'm not sure I would get that upset with people who put the wrong labels on it, providing they understand the underlying issue that Monique is talking about. To me, that's the most important issue. Um, and I think Cecilia may have mentioned it, is the whole issue to me, and we talked about this in the pre-discussion, is the whole issue of responsible stewardship, right? Because if you think about what we're accountable for as leaders of organizations, it's for responsible stewardship. Now you, you've got a whole different umbrella because what you've got now is that works for the environment. If you exercise responsible stewardship, you're gonna be doing the right things for the environment and climate change. Likewise, you're gonna do the right things for people. And people, as you say, are the drivers. I mean, everything, if you think about it, and this is where the financial background is to a degree my driver, You've got cash. What do you use it for? Or well, you used to use it to buy machines. Now you use it to pay people. And the fact is people create all of the other things that you need to create value. People build relationships with suppliers. People build relationships with each other. People build relationships with customers. They build relationships with regulators. And so your, your machine, your engine, I mean, the whole creativity of an organization is, is, is people and really responsible stewardship of people 
in the same way that I don't think you treat every asset the same way. I, I think you use a different set of rules when you're talking about people as part of the business model. And in our pre-event discussion, Monique brought up the fact that in the 1970s, 90% of the value of Wall Street was in physical assets. Now, 90% is in intellectual property, copyrights, patents, and other intangible assets. Okay. And the Six Capitals movement was a good-hearted effort to break things down instead of only looking at the bottom line to look at other things. And it was directed towards the financial market, the, the finance industry. So it made sense to think in terms of different forms of capital. And so, Nick, I appreciate what you're saying about, uh, you know, the intent is more important than the words, but words do matter. So let's let Marty have a little more time to talk about why it should not be human capital or even human resources. In our pre-event, we said even human resources is not an appropriate yeah. uh, title. It should just be humans. Yeah, I get or that. relationships. Yeah. I, I, I think we're going to get the relationships in there. Human relationships. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'd like to take it to a, a, a little different level and uh, talk a little bit about my involvement with the TC-323 ISO uh, Committee on Circular Economy. Uh, recently, I was uh, able to get uh, the standard that I wrote in uh, ASTM on infrastructure management uh, inserted into the circular economy uh, draft standard as a complementary method. And the importance of that is that it's a little provocative once you understand what it is that uh, that's about, because uh, rather than the, let's say, the people within the corporation uh, having the value, the, the standard that I wrote in ASTM, which is called E3210 on infrastructure management, it requires that people that, who adopt that standard to engage the public uh, twice every cycle. Uh, and have a full accounting and transparency. So uh, if a city, for example, took that standard and was really honest and upfront and where the money comes from and where it goes, uh, there's two opportunities for the public to have uh, input. And I think everybody knows when the city typically has a public hearing or the state or EPA, they already know what they're gonna say. So they just go there, somebody could be screaming from the back of the room, and they're not going to change what it is on their sheet of paper. So uh, uh, it's a little provocative to have a standard that actually requires to, to listen to what people say and, and really have some input on, uh, we want X, Y, and Z. This is what our budget is. Where could we get the extra money to do what it is that we need to do? Well, you know, let's, let's knock out and drag out uh, where the money actually comes from. Maybe there's better ways of doing things. So I guess I'm, I'm taking it to a different level of not the people within the organization that's creating the, the value, but people who are on the receiving end and paying for things, having some input. Cecilia, that's a perfect that's, that's, that's a to me. That's a segue <laughs> to me because, you know, again, the relevant stakeholders, ISO 55, thousand m1 4.2 says that we must consider the relevant stakeholders 
And my, my cry always is, please, please broaden your definition of relevant. And relevant means anybody that you are affecting, anybody that can be, that comes into contact with your organization's mission and activities. And so when Marty does his standard, it says, let's formalize the, the discussions with your external um, stakeholders. This is critical. And I think organizations are moving more and more towards this as we look at companies that stop and say, wait a minute, we are citizens. You know, corporations have a status as a legal status as a citizen of the communities in which they reside and operate. And Nick, when you were speaking in terms of the man, the machine and, and money, we are now moving more into the concept of co corporate social responsibility, ESG with the environmental and social governance and marrying what is the business mission and who is the business mission intended to benefit and how are we measuring both benefits and risk mitigation on detriments to those that we come in contact with, whether they're internal or external. And so this is critical that we start thinking this way. I wanted to ask Nick as a CFO, because one of the things that we have um, struggled with and in our conversations with Mary Adams, we did discuss this issue of return on investment does not have to just be quantitative. We need to start creating our measurements for qualitative returns that bring shareholder value in a different sense that bring, because we look at the shareholder value model, it's only gonna say what's in the marketplace on Wall Street. That doesn't get Main Street. And we need to get to a return on impact, the big I, you know, super I, super size I from every organization. and. I'm wondering what you as a CFO may think about that. And then I also want to counter your comment of people. We've got to be careful because in the world where AI, artificial intelligence is creeping up and we're using robots, we still have to remember that people program robots. But artificial intelligence, what do we think? We can go into that a bit too. Throwing it back to you and Monique to talk about. I'm 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 happy to respond. I think, you know, I I sometimes say, you know, I I am a a reformed accountant because I I have a somewhat different view on that as a than I would have had as a CFO. Um, and it's called maturity and learning, which is something we do through our life. I think. Um, I I I think when we when we talk about stakeholders, one of the very interesting things that's actually in progress right now, there's been a whole bunch of changes go on in this integrated reporting framework that started in, uh, in the UK, in fact, in 2011, I think, uh, and came out with its first framework in 2013. And it's since evolved, and, and many of you may know that in recent years, uh, in fact, in last year, there was a major amalgamation of all of these bodies, including SASB uh, and the standard setting bodies. And we now have 
all of the standard setting related to sustainability, which was the whole purpose of the integrated reporting framework way back, um, now falling under the Financial Accounting Standards Board. And I asked a question of that board recently about, well, hang on a minute, one of the key issues that was discussed when we were talking about sustainability and multiple capitals uh, was a stakeholder view of the evaluation of what we should be reporting, you know, what we're accountable for in terms of the conduct of our organization. And there was an, there's a, um, a process in there called materiality, which you're supposed to do is to go through and determine which, you know, what is material for stakeholders. The, the European view uh, is that they think something called double materiality is critical because it takes into account not only what's important to the financial stakeholders, but to all other stakeholders whose concerns uh, are part of the organization. Within a recent conversation a couple of weeks ago, I had with the people that are putting this amalgamated group together under FASB, they are pushing to go back to single materiality because the reporting goal is principally for Wall Street and the financial community. And I, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see where that goes, because I think it has a danger of a, of a major retrospect, you know, retrogressive step. So, so to you know, that end, Nick, yeah. so to that end, that's very scary in one sense, because progress was being made. And then now progress is going to go backwards because people don't know what to do with it. And they're a little nervous about creating new, new um, metrics. But just like we create metrics and pull out of air goodwill, and Ron Lurie asked the question, why isn't the potential of humans to create value in the form of IP and related intangible assets rather than the people per se, a form of capital that increases the economic value of the enterprise. Well, we found ways to create goodwill figures that we plucked out of thin air. So why can't we create a goodwill for how well we impact the materiality of our actions on all stakeholders? Why can't we work on that kind of creation? Are we that lazy? Well, part of, part of the problem is, I think, I is the, the, there is so much strength in the, in the financial community that it exercises so much leverage under the process. I think that's a difficulty. And there's something called intangible assets. Let's, let's, let's throw another term out there. And what has happened, as Monique pointed out, is that we've seen this flip from 10% intangible, 90% tangible to the other way around right now. Every time you spend money to invest in people, to help people grow and develop and learn and build relationships, accountants consider that an expense, it's written off. There is no you know, potential value. So when you talk about goodwill, that is one of the most fundamental issues that we have in one of the biggest communities that's part of this whole process right now, is they don't know how to do exactly what you said, Cecilia, which is, you're creating goodwill all the time, right? Every organization has goodwill. The trouble is it's only crystallized when somebody comes with a checkbook and says, okay, you know, here's how much I'll pay for your business. Oh, now we've got to handle that. But it's, it's always there, you know? Every time you invest in people, 
you're creating value for the organization, whether the outcome is better relationships or IP or you know replicable knowledge, whether you codify it, whether it's not codified or not, but it's all value creation. Money. Dominic, <laughs> Dominic what do you see uh, organizations reporting in terms of how they're measuring the value of their people? I, I have a little bit of a different perspective. And so, so you hit something um, that's really important, ESG. And, you know, the bond markets and the, the financial and Wall Street community, they're investing heavily um, in organizations that have high ESG scores, their environmental footprint, how they're impacting the environment, societal, how they're, they're, they're treating their employees, making sure they have good um, safe conditions in place for their people around the world. And then the overall governance of, of these organizations. Um, the, the area that they're trying to, to really um, focus there is when they do report their ESG scores is how do they build a framework around it to make sure that they're able to, to really monitor those organizations and making sure there's some independence. Because um, right now, it's, a lot of it is self-reported. But they are looking to control that and to really develop um, um, programs in place to, for those high um, ESG scores in those organizations. And we're gonna find over time that those organizations that are really driving um, in good environmental practices, um, treating their employees very well, and then have the overall governance to make sure that they're meeting their obligations is go are going to be really good organizations. And you're gonna see the financial communities investing in those organizations. So I, I, my, my spin on that is a little differently, different, and I, I do see that over time, that it, it's going to be a very positive for people as well as those organizations. I think the time uh, reference is actually important. Um, this is the Asset Leadership Network, and the people we engage with are wonderful, just 100%. It's incredible. But we're the leaders. We're Not everybody else is thinking like this. So what kind of phrase can we develop to replace people are our greatest assets? Is there anything that people can suggest or recommend? Now, you didn't let's like my you didn't like my social the, the relationships. The relationship. Yes, I did. Restate oh, you want that. somebody else to say it. Okay. No, you can money, restate it. Money. And Cecilia, it's um it's interesting the way you say that because of course originally it was human relations and then it was changed to become human resources and it really I think that was a backward step you know um, because what it means is um, like Dominic has mentioned you know scores for this and that and the other we're trying to reduce everything to a number but it's fundamentally more complex than that so yes, quantitative measures are useful and they allow us to make comparisons, you know, in a, in a more easy way, but they don't tell you the whole story. We've got to take qualitative with the quantitative so that we can understand what's really going on because it's easy for big companies to manipulate their numbers to look good, you know, when you're only looking at one number. Um, but how do we understand what's really going on. Um, so I think that that's where, and this is what, as you've said, Nick, yes, we've tried to convert this all into something that can be understood within the existing accounting framework, but why do we need to do that? Um, yes, it has a certain usefulness, but it's not the whole picture. Not everything is about what's on the balance sheet. 
So what we need to be doing is actually ensuring that people are looking more widely at the information that they assess when they make decisions and, and make investments rather than just looking at, at the numbers. Um, I think that's a really important um, aspect of this because what happens is then, as we've seen, goodwill is this very nebulous idea. It's what's left over when we've accounted for everything else. But what we need to be developing because of the importance of intangible assets is a far better understanding of what that actually constitutes. Because if we're not capturing that value, we're also not managing the risk where, where fundamentally there's this bit of a black hole that we aren't properly understanding, but we need to understand better. Because it does mean, um, in, you know, as Ron has um, said in his question, um, we've got to create an environment where people can be creative and do their best work. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, none of those numbers will look good in the end. So, yeah, so I think sometimes we have to, um, you know, don't accept the premise of the question. You know, don't accept that what the, that the status quo is the only way to do things. And I think it's problematic that we're trying to shoehorn people into a financial framework that isn't designed for that. And um, as we've said, even though I, I do agree that the intent of the original integrated um, reporting framework is to capture a lot of these things, but now it's in a lot of ways being reduced back to how do we turn it into a number on the balance sheet. And uh, I mentioned in my paper, the World Economic Forum's recent paper around, um, and it's actually called Human Capital Accounting. And if you read it, it's just a little bit scary um, because they literally have an equation that says human labor plus machine labor equals total cost of work. And it's, you know, like Marty has been trying to make the point, labor and uh, you know, men, machines and money, as it might have been said, but they're trying to merge the men and machines and make them interchangeable. And I think that's fundamentally flawed. You got to let Marty comment on that too. Yeah, yeah I think uh, uh, Cecilia hit it on the head uh, with the idea of relationships. And I think no matter how uh, ESG scores are reported, they should be, um, uh, they should be identified exactly what's in them uh, to the point where you can uh, question what the uh, the measurement is. Uh, for example, uh, relationship is good, but we need to uh, not isolate uh, labor or humans outside of the other factors. So I think it's always critical to look at, you know, capital, labor, and land. And, uh, you know, being from the Henry George School of Social Science, we very focused on the importance of land because when people own land, they're essentially keeping other people from entering. So they have an obligation to uh, you know, pay back to society. So once you understand those three factors of economic production, then you, it's almost impossible to, to squeeze out uh, labor as something that could be capital. You know, I think uh, so I, I would go with Cecilia and just say that we need to look at uh, uh, human relationships or uh, however Cecilia wants to formulate that, but uh, it can't be human capital. Hey, Marty, I like that you gave me the power, but who I want to take over is FASB and stopping them from making a determination where they don't look at double materiality. and. I'm not sure when they look at double materiality, how much of that is 
quantitative versus qualitative. I know that in ESG, it's much more qualitative what you're looking at, but you can measure qualitative things. How many times did you meet with the, um, with the community? How many times did your teams look at their processes? Who did you look at to look at the systems uh, yeah, internally and externally? Who has the impact? Uh, who does the system impact? These are questions that you can create some things for. It takes time. This is hard work and nobody really wants to spend the time to do it. But the point of doing this kind of work and, and boiling it down to relationships and net relationship networks. Um, maybe there's a score that is, you know, I don't know. We're brainstorming on this. I, I, will, I will bring up uh, Jim Dieter Point. Our uh, CEO is an avid baseball fan. And he is quite aware of the fact that sabermetrics, the introduction of measuring players to an infinitesimal level has dramatically changed the game. And now there is a way that they have a, a rating. Jim, if you could uh, type it into the uh, chat, that would be great, where they take the average of all the first basements. And how they, what's their batting average? What's their errors? How many runs have they scored, et cetera? And the average is one. And your own rating, could be 1.1, which means you're above average, or you could be 9 point, or, uh, 0.90, which would mean you're below average. So it is measuring people by numbers, but it's giving everybody a fair chance. No, it's not? Okay, Nick. Well, my, my concern is that, that so many of the measures are exactly that. Uh, they're at the people level. I think the point that we, we're hearing from a lot of the panelists is that the value is in the collective, right? The value comes from the team, yeah. not from the individual. It's a combination of the team and the individual player, which really goes back to, to a couple of things. I mean, Dominic was saying about ESG moving forward and, you know, there's, I don't dispute the fact there's some, some really good stuff going on out there. What concerns me is you see areas like uh, the SEC, for example, the sort of statistics that they're suggesting possibly should be, uh, should be added to the, uh, uh, the annual filing requirements. And, you know, we're, we're not really talking about social outcomes. We're not really talking about the mm. effectiveness with which we build a community at work that reduces things like mental health, for example. Um, so if as long as we try and sort of bring them back, exactly as Monique said, to these sort of single factor financial items, um, because it is easy to measure those sorts of things. Yes, it is subjective. To measure some of the other things but for example if we talk about diversity and inclusion um, yes. I'm all for talking about you know how many people do you have in management how many people have in the other ranks but the most important thing is I, I don't care you know so much about how many you've got hired I care how you treat them when they're in the workplace those are the things that worry me about the ESG reporting is we're talking a lot of numbers and activities we're not talking about the, if you like, the, uh, the health of the community uh, that we're creating and the workplace health that is the stimulant for taking uh, skills, education and experience and really leveraging them to 
the most effective benefit to optimizing the organization's performance. And that's the big difference, I think, between machine assets and people assets. In people assets, you know, if we call them that, put whatever label you want on it. But we have to do two people. things. Well, yeah, with people, we have to have skills, education, experience at the individual level. But we have to create an environment where collaboration, cooperation, communications, and all of those uh, leveraging effects are going to allow you to convert technical capability into performance outcomes to create Dominant. an environment for the people. Yes, and and can I oh, wait, so Celia, Can I ask Dominic? Um, okay, I just the company. To ask, okay, that's fine. I'll come back to the question to Nick because yeah. it's to Nick what Nick just said. But you can go ahead and bring. Well, Dominic I would like in. Dominic to talk to what Nick just yeah. said. He okay. has a company with people. What are some of the techniques, and what have you found effective? I, I mean, I how I opened up. I, you know, I truly believe that you know my success and our organization's success is based on the collective efforts of every individual on our team. And I'm just, a, you know, I look at myself as a shepherd to help them get to us reaching our goals and, and having them spread their wings to really drive in success. Um, you know, we, we get into a lot of different business activities and, and sometimes we have to make tough calls where um, what some that I learned a long time ago is, you know, you get into new businesses and some of them take off and, and others, you have to know when to make some tough calls and what I would call cut bait and making sure that we should, um, you know, maybe put things on the shelf or, or take a different avenue. Um, and, you know, I just look at it as our people and, and um, we've got a great team and I, I can't thank my people enough around the world is, is to really focus on, on, you know, what our mission is. And it's to, I start, and it's, it's really about driving trust in, in the activities that we do around the world and to make sure we have the best players in, out in the field and making sure that, that we hear them and listen. And, um, you know, like I said, I just, um, you know, our success is based on that collective efforts of people and making sure that we recognize those successes and making sure that we're treating people with dignity and, and fairness. And, um, you know, we, you know, we have a great organization and that's, that, that's how I say it. Excellent. How about in your, how about with your clients? And, and I know the work that you guys are doing at ABS is so superb. How about, and, and everybody I've met on your team, yeah, as we've been doing work with you guys, everyone is right on target with what they want to do. I'm curious, as you go through your various clients, are you seeing them do more of what Nick said? And that is focusing on what Marty says, which is nurturing the internal and the external relationships. And are you seeing them incorporate that in their ISO 55,000 work? Are you seeing them incorporated generally? Well, organizations that, that are implementing any management system, whether it's an ISO 55,000 program or an environmental program, you know, it, it depends on the stakeholders in the communities that, that they're working in. But, you know, the organizations that implement these programs, they're doing it to really um, separate themselves from other organizations. Um, they want to be leaders in their, their business activities. They want to make sure that they're promoting um, good environmental practices, whether it's health and safety. If it's an asset management program, they want to make sure they're getting a lot of value out of their assets and making sure that their people are, are um, completely trained and they understand what their impacts are based on their daily functions. 
So, um, you know, when we look at our, the organizations that we audit, we call them, you know, we consider them best in class and that's why they deserve a certificate. Now, not all of them get there. Um, and others, we might um, raise um, non-conformances or areas they need to, to work on in order for us to give them a certificate down the road. But, you know, for the most part, when we were out in the field, um, you know, great leadership, you know, they really believe in the programs that they're, that they're rolling out. They believe in the people to get it done. And, um, you know, we see some good things out there in the field. Um, but, you know, we also see some things where, you know, they, they need to improve. And that's the whole focus of, of these management system pro, uh, programs also is continual improvement mm -hmm. um, and making sure that they identify those things and to make sure that they improve as, as an organization and as people um, will, um, develop within the organizations. So, uh, Did I answer your question, Cecilia? Yeah, and I guess part of my question was, do you see them being very mindful about their stakeholder um, engagement? Yeah, and, and, and have you seen any interesting measurements come back from what they've been doing? Have you seen where they've started quantifying how often they meet with the various stakeholder groups and things of that nature? Well, that's part of the, some of the standards is that they, they have to identify what their stakeholder requirements are. Right, and then the communities that they're serving. So when they're out there um, doing their their work, and we're out there auditing them, they're, they're very focused on making sure they're meeting stakeholder um, um, activities, and making sure that they're meeting those milestones. Now um, they do identify areas where they need to improve, like especially with some of the government agencies that that we might audit organizations um, towards. They need to to meet certain um, protocols in place. And then um, they're always striving to drive that continued improvement. So they're very well aware of what those um, activities are and what those milestones are that they need to achieve. So it's, it's, I see it as that they're very focused on it. Excellent. Artie, what were you gonna say? Yeah, I guess I, I was looking at the clock and I'm saying that uh, my, uh, my suggestion for uh, what we do uh, coming out of this is that we, we look at the practical and intellectual heft that we have among us to reach out to those organizations that are going off the rails. Uh, I think I heard FASB was trying to do something that uh, is going against what we're trying to say here. And we issue a paper or some kind of statement uh, from our organizations and just say, uh, you guys are going off, uh, going in the wrong direction and put it on record. Nick, I think Marty just made you the chairman of a committee. <laughs> Especially what, since you know. <laughs> well, I, th I think one of the dangers is, you know, we, we've all heard the, oh, what was it? it? Was it Sloan many, many years ago said, what's good for General Motors is good for America. Um, <laughs> the, the belief is still, I think, in the corporate world is, is don't bother us with, with all of this external activity because we will do the right thing and i think sadly i i would say probably 85 90 percent of ceos will do the right thing but unfortunately we still have the bad players out there that that won't do the right thing um uh I, I, it was great to hear you know dominic talking about you know the engagement of the stakeholders and things like that um it's it's how how you treat people you say for example using the tough having to make the tough decisions which is the reality of the business world and i think when the whole issue of of people management 
and people leadership comes to play is that is the touch point when you have to make that tough decision is how do you deal with the human aspects of it? You know, for example, sure, we all know that we go into new ventures uh, and sometimes they don't work. I mean, that you've got to try, though. I mean, you, you've got to try stuff. If you know dry stuff, you won't know what, what does work and what doesn't. But if you bring people, trusting people, as you use the term, trusting people along as part of the journey, then you've got to reward that in terms of, OK, we stuck with you through this venture. Now, don't just cast us aside as a result of that venture, you know, how are we gonna work together so we can reintegrate back into the business or do something different or get retrained. But it's, yeah. it's that whole focus on how do you deal with the tough decisions related to people as human beings. Mm. Monique was going to say something. I saw you thinking out loud. <laughs> it's all right. It's just Dominic. Um, uh, it was great to hear what you said, um, but it sounds as well, though- uh, Before we go on, <laughs> I would like to say that this is too good to end, but we're experimenting with an evening program. So I'd like uh, Nick Anoki to uh, provide a formal end and then let everybody make closing statements. And I bet you some of the best discussion will come when all the pressure's off, the formal session is over, and then we can talk amongst ourselves. Yep, sorry to cut you off, Monique. We'll get right back to you. But before that, we just wanted to, again, thank everyone for attending today's session and thank our uh, great panel for being here today and providing such interesting discussion on an important topic. Uh, and we also, of course, want to thank our patron members, uh, especially ABS Quality Evaluations for Dominic's participation here today and on other ALN programming uh, and organizational members as well. Um, Exciting news in the US tag world, uh, release of a new campus website. Um, you can learn about that more in our newsletter on our website or by visiting assetmanagementusa.org. Uh, and that's just one of many exciting things going on with our organizational members. So please reach out if you're interested in working more with the ALN. Uh, and with that, pass it back to Mike Bordnero. So thank you to our audience members. And if you need to go, take care of children or um, have uh, dinner, uh, go right ahead. So now back to you, Monique. Sorry to have to cut you off. Yeah, we're still recording. Uh, yes, we're still recording. Yeah, no, no worries at all. Um, I was just gonna uh, ask in response to what Dominique had said earlier, um, that it sounds as though, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds as though the companies that you're dealing with have voluntarily chosen to implement these management systems and they're pursuing it as a way of uh, competitive advantage or quality improvement. Um, in Australia, we have a number of um, state governments who have mandated um, certification or uh, alignment to ISO 55001 or a similar system, particularly for government entities and in certain industries. I believe there's some other jurisdictions around the world, I think the Netherlands, perhaps some other European countries, South Africa, where it's likewise mandated. And um, so I think there's there can be a bit of a difference because then you've got some companies who are in fact starting right at the very beginning at a very low level of maturity. They've been given a deadline by which they have to do this certification. And 
so they're really trying to tick the box and um, meet the minimum minimum requirements and that don't necessarily, uh, you're not necessarily seeing what you've um, reflected there, which is, you know, companies who are already ahead of the game wanting to get better. Um, certainly I see some of that um, in my work, but it's not always the case, particularly in the context where it has been mandated. I guess that's, um, yeah. And you know, Monique, you're 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 right to a point. You know, there are uh, certain industries that do mandate it, like aerospace, the medical device community to sell your product in cer certain market segments, uh, automotive, of course. Um, but there's a lot of oversight that goes goes along with it. Um, you know, our, the accreditation bodies, um, they're out there auditing us as well as um, getting out and, and witnessing some of those clients. And you know they're also very focused on if there's recalls coming into place or in the let's say the automotive industry, um, if there's products that are being delivered that aren't meeting specific um, quality objectives or, or environmental objectives, you know there's a lot of oversight to those organizations. So um, you know it does depend on the on the client, and it also um, you know, it depends on the the auditing organizations themselves, right? So it's it's very important. Um, you know, when I look at ABS and ourselves, it's, you know, I, I started, I also talked about trust, right? And it's one lie destroys a thousand truths. So it's, it's really important for us to make sure that we're give, doing the best work that we can out in the field and making sure that the ABS certificate means something when it's hanging on the wall. Um, but there are other, other um, you know, organizations that, that might look at things differently. Um, but when you... But I think when you look at the overall um, certification market, um, most of those organizations want to do a good job. It, you know, the focus is continual improvement. They want to make sure they're getting better. Um, us as auditing organizations are supposed to um, be evaluating that, and and you know our nonconformances that we raise drives them towards towards that. And then we also see, and I was just out at a client. I'll give you a real life example. Um, we're bidding on a client in Mexico. And the reason that they're coming to us is they felt that the auditing organizations that they've used has kind of gotten to its end of life. Like they're, they're not feeling like they're getting, uh, you know, enough value any longer. They want a new set of eyes in there. Um, so it's, you know, the, those type of organizations is what I really call those best in class organizations. They, they really believe in it. They want to drive and be excellent. And, uh, you know, that's what we try to focus on. Well, also, it's interesting that in your clients that are in Latin America, Dominique, because they were mandated, especially in the utilities, the electrical utilities and the like, yeah. they've been mandated in Chile and Brazil and other places to use ISO 55000. And mm -hmm. what they have found is that they have had increases in positive increases in how they interact with relevant stakeholders and expansion of the, the term relevant and doing things like Marty said in terms of being mindful and intentional about the meetings that they schedule and having ongoing meetings so that they are getting a broader perspective on managing risk and they are finding higher quality and higher acceptance in their communities uh, in terms of the work that they do. And so it's generating a different level of return for them that is a qualitative return, again, on the their role as corporate citizens. 
Yeah. And so we've got to think about this as maybe a relational, a citizenship, you know, because the, the question is, as a corporate citizen, what are you doing to make an impact in the world, not just your particular mission? What is your mission towards and how are you creating that? And yeah. to, to Nick's point, if we're not doing it so that everybody is growing, going to Marty's orchard, and we're not fertilizing so that every plant and seedling grows, we're not going to get that. Yeah. And, you know, Cecilia, you're right, I mean, because if you're not engaged with the stakeholders, things change over time. So you really need to be plugged in of what those changes are. Um, if there's new regulations that are coming out, you, know, you, you get a new competitive environment. And I always believe when you got new competitors come into, into the space, um, the rules of engagement change. So you really need to make sure that you're, you're very plugged in. I think, I mean, it's, it's very interesting when you talk about when things change and, and staying in touch with the stakeholders. I think that's one of the things that the years of sort of team development stuff taught me in business is that, you know, we often think of team development as a linear focus, you know, it's the four step, uh, what is it? Um, storming, norming, conforming, I forget what the four steps were, but what you actually learn in business is business is not static. You can't linear team build. Team build is something that changes every time the dynamics of the human beings in the team change. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's like a sports team. It's like any other collective group of people. There is a uniqueness into the reaction interaction between the people in in the collective and uh, so you know absolutely you have to be out there constantly changing because you know the the players are changing in your your customer stakeholders your supplier stakeholders regulator stakeholders how many people make that mistake because they 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 just sort of keep regulators at arm's length versus keeping up with what's the thinking how is it changing where are they going yeah absolutely one of the things that all of this points to, as far as I'm concerned, is the value of ISO 55000 and being certified or following the guidance of ISO 55001. Because if you follow the simple steps, you start to begin to address all these things. And that's first time I read it, I was like, this is it. This is great. And um, the the creation of the Asset Leadership Network was to promote ISO 55000 in the US. And it is leading to these kinds of discussions, which I find very fascinating. And we are on the leading edge. And us having these discussions, having it on record, sharing some of the excellent highlights uh, that you all have had, uh, and then we'll spread this out. Um, so that's kind of my closing statement. If everyone would like to make a closing statement, Dominic, you went last in the introduction, so we'll go reverse order. What, what do you, anything you'd well, like to say in a closing statement? I just want to say thank you for, uh, for having me participate. Um, you know, I find these discussions really um, insightful. Um, I learn a lot myself and, um, you know, to me, it's, it's, it, it's all about people and, um, you know, the, the, you treat people with dignity and, and fairness and, really believe in their abilities and given the freedom to act, um, remarkable things happen. And, um, you know, that's, that's my closing statement. And that's, you know, I really um, 
love working with people. So thank you. Well, um, we have seen that you, you act that you just don't say those words. So thank you for being a people. Thank you. And then um, who was uh, second to last? That was Cecilia. Backwards. Well, again, always wanting people to be mindful of what they're doing, who they're doing it with, how they're doing it, and who else might be impacted, and making them grow and invite everyone to the table so that whatever they're doing is prospering everyone in their community and making a difference. And you can prosper without making somebody wealthy. It's, you know, there's ways to prosper somebody that's not monetary. Well, thank you for your passion and for bringing it all the time, Cecilia. Thanks. Marty? Okay, well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be here. I did wanna bring up something and just be very clear that I'll never uh, utter the words human capital or land as capital. Uh, you know, we didn't mention much about land, but uh, it's very critical uh, because we, we see where uh, big developers are getting uh, tax abatements for 20 and 30 years without providing the kind of affordable housing. And, you know, that's just money out the door that should be going to something productive. Uh, so we, we can't let go of the, uh, the idea of what capital and what isn't because, uh, it's a slippery slope to open the door for human capital and then and then we okay well land is capital and that's kind of like a mortal sin thank you i was hoping you'd uh, have something uh, strong to close on and mortal sin it doesn't get too much stronger than that so nick i i find it stimulating and rewarding when i can participate in a discussion like this with kindred spirits. Um, it gives me, me hope uh, that things are going to change um, because there, there are so many people out there that really do want to build a better world, want to look at the success of capitalism. Um, the system works. We've just got to figure out how we, how we can make it work better for all of the people who are part of it. And I think it starts at the individual level by being wanting to be a change agent but I think it's also a question we have to ask ourselves every day in the one-on-one -on -one interactions we have with people. Are we in the people demolition business or are we in the people construction business? Love it. Thank you for adding on that one. That's a highlight. And Monique. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And thanks so much for inviting me to be part of this conversation. It's been fantastic. Um, I wanted to um, close with something that I mentioned in an earlier conversation we had. And despite this being called the Asset Leadership Network, we lead people, we don't lead assets. And I think that's really, really fundamental to what we've been talking about here today. And I think there's just an enormous opportunity. The word potential has been mentioned a few times. And I think it's so important. People have enormous potential, they have enormous capability. And if we undervalue them and we uh, you know, dehumanize them, we are not accessing that enormous potential. So I think there's a huge opportunity through leadership with groups um, such as this to, to open up those opportunities and unlock that potential and to really see um, the great things that people can do. So that's what I would um, like to see out of this. Thank you all very much.
Excellent closing statement. So thank you, Monique, and thank you all. Uh, thank you, Nick Kanoki, for uh, assisting and producing uh, very uh, effectively. Always appreciate your uh, assistance, and thanks to the audience. Uh, appreciate your comments and input. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night and be safe. Hey, thanks. 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 A pleasure all. working and talking, brainstorming with all of you. It was, it was great. It yeah, was really awesome. thanks. Stay healthy. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.